Revolutionary technology that can edit genetic mistakes is getting attention and scrutiny this morning. CRISPR could help rid us of diseases like cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, and even HIV and cancer. Think about that. CRISPR has generated immense excitement because it's fast, cheap, and can cut and paste genetic code with great precision. It used to take months or years to alter a single gene. Now that can be done in a matter of days. We are going to be able to use CRISPR to give us spectacular insights into genome structure and function. The next couple of decades, uh, everybody will be wanting to sequence their genome and understand how it works. CRISPR will give us the, uh, the eyes with which we can you know, look deeply into genome structure and function. In addition, CRISPR offers spectacular possibilities for human disease therapy, possibilities that were not dreamt of before. That's Peter Koopman, Professor of Developmental Biology at the University of Queensland. In 1990, he was part of the team that discovered the sex-determining gene in mammals, a discovery considered to be one of the most significant in 20th century genetics. Currently, he is working with a new technology called CRISPR, which is able to edit parts of the genome. This technology has the potential to treat a range of human diseases by deleting or repairing defective genes. William Isdale spoke to Professor Koopman about his work and the potential to apply the CRISPR technology to treat diseases in humans. Developmental biology is the study of embryonic development, how we develop uh, from a fertilised egg to a complex organism with every part in the right place. Uh, all of that needs to unfold in a very orderly temporal and spatial sequence. And uh, what I do in my research is to try to discover the genes that are involved in orchestrating that very complex process. Because as you know, certain types of disease are caused by genes not directing those processes properly. Now, Peter, you're the director of the Queensland Facility for Advanced Genome Editing, QPhage. How did that facility come about? Well, as you probably know, there's a lot of excitement about CRISPR technology at the moment. It offers the potential to edit the genome uh, in, in precise and rapid ways. And this offers great potential in research and also in applications such as med medicine and, and agriculture. It's a reasonably simple technology, but it's also quite sophisticated. It relies on, on quite a lot of complex equipment, which we happen to have here in the building. Now, I have a, a long-standing background in making mouse models of human disease and in making uh, types of mice that can be used in research. Uh, traditionally, we've done that using te technologies called uh, making transgenic mice or making knockout mice. And to make those types of mice, uh, we use a certain type of equipment that we have in the lab. As it happens, we can also use exactly the same type of equipment to make CRISPR mice. And so it was a fairly natural transition to um, start to make CRISPR mice in, in my lab. So the QPhage facility came right out of the development of CRISPR then? It came out of the blue about three years ago. Nobody saw this coming. But suddenly, uh, papers started to appear applying this brand new technology called CRISPR. 
And for us as research scientists, reading these papers and seeing what you could do with this technology and how rapidly you could do it was just uh, amazing. It was a real game changer. So a lot of people started to get interested very quickly in making CRISPR uh, mouse models. And as I said, with my uh, expertise and background, uh, I had the potential to start making these models both for my own use and for other research scientists uh, pretty rapidly. So we geared up and we started doing it. Now, people have been doing genome editing for quite a while, including on mice. Generally speaking, before we get into the CRISPR aspects, why are mice important in biological research? Uh, Mice are a very important model in in biological research because, firstly, they're mammals, uh, and hence their their bodily functions, their reproduction is very similar to humans. And so uh, for certain types of human disease, uh, you can use other models, such as, let's say, fruit flies or frogs or chickens or uh, zebrafish. But if you want to really very closely mimic mammalian processes, such as those that that happen in humans, you really need to use a mouse model. So mice are really uh, an extremely important model for, for human disease studies. So in the past, using previous genetic editing techniques, what sort of clinical applications has work with mice helped achieve? Uh, It's mostly revolved around creating mouse models for human disease. Now, as I mentioned, in a lot of types of human disease, uh, they're caused by defective gene function. What we can do with, with, with mice is replicate the gene defect in order to make Uh, a mouse model of the disease where we can study how the disease process happens. Uh, We can, for example, trial drugs and therapies on the mouse model of the disease to see if they would be effective in humans. Are there certain mouse models that have been particularly useful or influential? I've heard about some really interesting ones like the Onco mouse or the Pepsi K super mouse or the Methuselah mouse. Are you able to speak to any of those? Uh, not specifically, but I mean, there have been so many mouse models of, of, of so many types of human disease. They've been extremely valuable in, as I say, um, understanding how the disease process unfolds and in trialing uh, therapies. Could you give some examples of the sorts of things that you're doing at QFEDGE? The, the role of QFAGE is to make uh, CRISPR mice, and there are many different types of things that you can do with the CRISPR technology. One thing is that you can disrupt the function of genes. Uh, Another thing is to remove a gene completely. Uh, Another uh, thing that you can do is to repair a defective gene. There there are so many different sorts of things that you can do, and all of those have applications to different types of disease. So you're not just knocking out certain genes at QFED, you're also inserting new genetic material? Uh, It it depends on the the nature of the research project that needs to be done. So let me go back to modelling human disorders. Uh, As you probably know, there are different types of disorder. There are dominant disorders, recessive disorders, and so on. In some of those disorders, you have a patient that produces a, a normal version of a particular protein plus a defective version of the particular protein. In some cases, the defective protein actually interferes with the function of the normal protein. So therefore, in a mouse model, you want to remove the function of the defective protein. 
In other types of human disease model, you don't want to remove the defective protein. You actually need to repair it, in, repair the gene that makes that defective protein in some way. So it, it depends on what disorder we're talking about, what strategy you need to use to effectively model that disease in mice using CRISPR. The CRISPR technology allows scientists to make changes to the DNA in cells that could allow us to cure genetic disease. A way for scientists to delete or insert specific bits of DNA into cells with incredible precision that would offer opportunities to do things that really haven't been possible in the past. The CRISPR technology has already been used to change the DNA in the cells of mice and monkeys, other organisms as well. Chinese scientists showed recently that they could even use the CRISPR technology to change genes in human embryos. And scientists in Philadelphia showed they could use CRISPR to remove the DNA of an, an integrated HIV virus from infected human cells. How does CRISPR differ to the previous technologies like zinc finger nuclases and talons? That's a somewhat technical question. Um, most of my experience has been creating uh, mouse models using uh, homologous recombination in embryonic stem cells. And so that's my yardstick to compare CRISPR to. With homologous recombination, you're relying on events that go on in the cell that are very, very rare. So you, you need to uh, create these genetic modifications in cells where you can select for these very rare events. And then once you do get these modifications, you can uh, take the cells and turn them into mice. This is a, a, a very expensive and lengthy process that can take a number of years and the chances of success are not always there. With CRISPR, it, it, it's light years away from that. The process itself is very fast and it's very efficient. So in really, in, in literally a matter of weeks, you can create a particular type of mutation in a mouse that you didn't have before. So is, CRISP, is CRISPR making it possible to do things that were unthinkable previously, or is it simply a matter of making it easier to do things that you were already able to do previously? Uh, both of those things. Um, certainly, uh, we, we can do types of experiment that we were not able to do before simply because they were not cost effective or because they took so long you know, to do certain types of experiment over and over would, would take decades. With CRISPR, we can now do that type of experiment in, in, in weeks or months. So it, it really is a game changer. When you're thinking of making a potential change, how do you identify a site how do you know what's interesting to change? Well, that's the, the, the skill of the molecular geneticist. We, we're able to sequence genes. We're able to determine and understand what types of mutations underlie particular types of disease. And if the CRISPR experiment involves repairing a particular type of mutation, we know exactly where that mutation is. We, we target the, the, the CRISPR reagents to that particular area of the genome. We apply a template that's going to specifically repair that mutation, and then the job is done. Because mice are a common model organism, does that mean that researchers have such a sophisticated knowledge of the genome of mice that you can be pretty sure of the effects of any change? Or is it still a stab in the dark to some extent when you do make a change? 
oh, um, just because we know the sequence of the genome in mice doesn't mean that we know the functions of all of the genes and it doesn't mean that we know what will happen if you induce a particular type of change. That is, in fact, the question that we're trying to answer with CRISPR uh, so that we can um, answer those questions in, in, in humans where we can't do the experiments, as it were. Relatedly, what sort of impact has the decline in the cost of sequencing had on the research that you do? Again, a very important part of doing a CRISPR experiment is that we induce genetic changes in the DNA of, of mouse embryos. CRISPR, because of the way it's done, is, is a relatively high throughput method, and so we generate uh, a large number of different uh, mice in each experiment, each with a, di a different genetic alteration. And it's by using DNA sequencing that we determine exactly which uh, what alteration has occurred in each of the mice that we produce. So many diseases are single gene diseases, like Huntington's disease and cystic fibrosis. But I understand that many complex traits like intelligence are the result of the impact of many genes. Is it possible to use CRISPR to do polygenic changes that influence those kind of more complex traits? One of the advantages of CRISPR is its incredible efficiency. So uh, although I haven't personally tried to do you know, multigenic changes within the one experiment, it's certainly possible to target a number of genes within the same experiment at the same time in a way that was simply not possible with previous technologies. So yes, that, that may be a possibility for the future. And when you're trying to get a change through the whole organism, does that mean you need to make the change in the germline or, an egg, or one of the egg cells? Yes. Typically what we want to do in mice, as I told you, is to make a mouse model of a human disease. And so what we want to do is make a mouse where every cell of the body has a particular change. And you're correct in saying that we need to, to do germline uh, therapy in mice to achieve that. The way that we do that is to take single cell mouse eggs and inject the CRISPR reagents and induce the uh, genetic change in the embryo when it's a single cell. That means that when the as the single cell divides into two cells, four cells, eight, and so on, every cell in the body inherits the genetic mutation and you end up with a mouse in which every cell has that genetic change. So making germline changes, if you want it to impact the whole organism, you have to do it in the germline? Yes, so, um, so when we're making mice, we tend to do germline changes so that we end up with a mouse that has the genetic change in every one of its cells. Now, there are other applications of CRISPR technology, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, people are starting to use CRISPR in human disease therapy, and that's where there's a distinct difference between what you might do in mice and what you might do in a human. That's really interesting, talking about the potential applications of CRISPR in humans and also non-germline changes. I wonder you know, what sort of non-germline changes are actually useful for research or therapeutic purposes. So in humans, you might want to treat a disease that affects only a certain tissue type in the body or a certain number of cells or a certain organ. In that case, you don't need to apply germline therapy because you don't need to repair the gene in all of the cells if, for example, the disease only affects the blood or the liver or the muscles. In those cases, you only need to introduce the genetic repair process into a certain subset of liver cells or blood cells or muscle cells. So it's, it's a completely different strategy that you, might, that you might use. 
The challenge in human disease therapy using CRISPR is the challenge of delivery. Somehow you need to get the CRISPR reagents into the cells that you're trying to repair. And that's the, the stumbling block. That's the bottleneck uh, so far. So I've heard with blood, for instance, it might be possible to fix sickle cell anemia by you filter out blood and make changes and then put the blood back into the person or the same for making T cells that are resistant to HIV? Exactly. Blood is a very simple one in the sense that, as you say, you can take the cells out of the body, do the manipulations, and in fact, you can then even check that you have the, cor the correct repair, the re repair that you intended to get, uh, before you reintroduce those cells back into the patient. With muscle or liver, it's a little bit more challenging because it's a bit more difficult to get the cells out of the body, manipulate them, and then put them back in and have them function where they need to be. One way of getting around this is, of course, to use stem cells, where you can do the manipulation in the patient's stem cells, check that the uh, desired repair has occurred before you reintroduce the stem cells back into the body. But then, of course, the challenge is to get the stem cells, the repaired stem cells, to integrate properly into the defective tissue, such as muscle or liver. So if you could CRISPR those cells that make the organoids and you produce something that has some functional capacity even though it's not as good as a fully grown kidney you could then maybe transplant that into the the fully grown person yes that's absolutely correct but really the the, the challenge is uh getting the the crispr reagents into the cell making uh, a repair of a certain type of gene defect that causes disease but then you have to get the cells back into the patient and functioning somehow uh, in a way that cures the disease. A lot of people talk about the potential off-target effects of CRISPR and other genome editing technologies. Have you seen much of that in your work with CRISPR mice? We haven't seen much off-target effects in mice, but it's not that much of a problem for us. Um, where it could become a problem, of course, is, is doing this in humans and trying to repair uh, defective genes using CRISPR. Uh, the possibility exists that you might introduce genetic changes other than the intended change in a patient's cells. This is not such a problem where you're able to take the cells out of the body, do the repair and characterise it before you put the cells back in, or indeed, as I've just mentioned, if you're using stem cells, where again, you can properly characterise the genetic changes that you've induced before you introduce the uh, cells into the patient. Some types of disease therapy at the moment involve direct delivery of the CRISPR reagent into the patient's tissues, such as injecting them into the, into the muscle or into, into liver. In those cases, yes, it's possible that other changes may occur that weren't predicted and it's, um, it remains to be seen whether that's going to be a problem for human disease therapy. Does it present risks more generally? So an example I have is that in 2001, some scientists at the ANU were doing work on mice and they introduced the gene for interleukin-4 into the mousepox virus and they'd hoped to make the mice infertile, but they discovered that they actually made a resistant form of mousepox. And people pointed out that this published paper could be used by people who wanted to do harm, for instance, to make a more virulent form of smallpox. Does that perhaps show the, the dangerous uses to which this kind of research could lead? I think with any new technology, there are always um, potentially unforeseen sides to the technology. Whether you consider these dangerous enough 
to stop the technology being used for its many useful applications or not is uh, very much a personal and, and ethical uh, choice. The, to me, the potential advantages of CRISPR-based gene therapy so far outweigh the dangers that I'm aware of that it, will be, uh, it would not make sense to not exploit this technology further. What's the most interesting CRISPR research that you're hearing about? For me personally, uh, it's about mutating gene regulatory sequences. So let me explain what I mean. Since uh, we know the sequence of the genome, we know the structure of most of the genes, and we're now able to correlate gene structure with uh, the structure of the proteins that they encode and understand how the genome uh, works in that way. What we know less about is how gene activity is controlled, what switches on genes in the right time and the right place. There are so-called regulatory sequences upstream of each gene that determine when a gene is active and in what cells. Those regulatory sequences are something that we know much less about. With CRISPR technology, we have the potential to introduce uh, mutations into potential gene regulatory sequences, firstly to identify what the gene regulatory sequences really are, and secondly to find out exactly how they work. Because to me, that is the, the other side of the coin, as it were, to understanding the structure of the genome, is understanding the function of the genome. So that's where I think um, CRISPR technology can really help. Can you show us some of the equipment and tell us what it does? Sure. Um, so this uh, microscope here is the microinjector. Now what we need to do in the CRISPR experiment is we collect uh, fertilized mouse eggs at the single cell stage and we need to inject a DNA solution into each mouse egg. As you can imagine, uh, you know, each egg is a single cell essentially so they're pretty tiny. So firstly you need a microscope to be able to see them. Second thing is you need some means of being able to pick up each egg individually and that's what this manipulator on the right of the microscope allows us to do. Uh, it allows us to essentially suck uh, eggs onto the end of a holding pipette, a very tiny uh, glass needle as it were, one by one. Then the manipulator on the left allows us to inject uh, a very small and obviously very sharp needle into each egg and inject the DNA solution. So we repeat that process hundreds of times until we've uh, injected maybe two or three hundred eggs. How do you make the new DNA that you're going to inject? Um, so in fact it's not just DNA that we're injecting. We're injecting a cocktail of CRISPR reagents. Um, they're called guide RNAs uh, which allow um, a certain cut to be made in the DNA within each egg. Uh, in addition to the guide RNAs, we are injecting an enzyme called Cas9 that actually makes the cut in the DNA. In addition to the guides and the Cas9 uh, enzyme, quite often we are injecting a DNA template that uh, allows a repair to be made in the DNA um, where the repair has a specific genetic change in it already. So those are the three ingredients that we need to inject into each fertilised mouse egg. And that's where we will leave Professor Koopman. Thank you for listening to this Speaking With podcast. 
You can subscribe to Speaking With through iTunes or through TuneIn Radio. If you liked this podcast or if you have ideas for future podcasts, please send us a comment through iTunes.